Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we complete Chapter 8 in John's Gospel, thinking about what it means to really believe in Jesus. We will look at believing, but not really believing, and then about really believing. I believe in Jesus. These are wonderful, and yet at times puzzling words in the pages of John's Gospel and the pages of our own experience. Believing is a central theme of John's Gospel. One writer titled his work on it, The Gospel of Belief. As the Apostle John introduces us to Jesus in chapter 1, he writes, To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Chapter 3 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In chapter 2 we read that many believed in Jesus, which we see again in chapters 4, 7, and now here in chapter 8. Yet in this gospel we have seen many who believed in him later turn away and stop following him. Here in chapter 8, many who had come to believe in Jesus in short order rejected him and even tried to kill him. What are we to make of all of this? What does it mean to believe in Jesus, to really, truly believe in him? It is certainly more than adopting a popular slogan that we could repeat, put on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or bumper sticker. It certainly is more than following Jesus' example and teaching. It certainly is an important question in that John tells us, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The last part of John chapter 8 helps us as Jesus interacts with a group of people who came to believe in him. He tells them, and us, that really believing in him is demonstrated in your life. Jesus draws a sketch of what believing in him looks like, showing us an outline view of both those who really believe and those who do not really believe. Jesus told us in another place, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, that is, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. These are sobering words. There are those who say, I believe in Jesus, who do not really believe. Yes, some who performed mighty works in the name of Jesus, even miracles, never truly believed in Jesus. How could they do these things? 
Just as Satan's forces enabled Pharaoh's sorcerers to replicate Aaron throwing down his staff, which turned into a serpent, so his forces down through the ages have enabled people who do not know God to do mighty acts. How do we know the difference between those who really believe and those who don't? In short, we sometimes, even often, don't. But there are some evidences of true belief, because really believing in Jesus is demonstrated in your life. Let's start with those who say, even with conviction, that they believe in Jesus, but who are not really believing in him. The Apostle Paul tells us some of these people profess to know God, but by their deeds, their actions, they deny him. In this sketch, Jesus gives us at least four marks or evidences of people believing, but not really believing. First, some people think they are Christians because of religious practices and family history. You've probably heard it. You ask someone if she or he is a Christian, and they quickly answer, Of course! I'm a member of the fill-in-the-blank church. Or, All my family are Christians. Or, I was baptized as an infant, confirmed and married in the church. Of course I am a Christian. There were people like that when Jesus was on earth. The main argument of those who believed in Jesus in this scene was that they were Abraham's children. When Jesus told them he had the truth that would set them free, some replied, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus responded by telling them that the one who commits sin is a slave to it, to which they fired back, Abraham is our father. Jesus told them that the one who follows his word will never taste death. The fever pitch reply was, You are not greater than our father Abraham who died, are you? The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Remember that this group of followers were in Jerusalem for the Festival of Booths the seventh and last of the annual festivals God directed Israel to observe. It would be like people now saying, I belong to the church, as did my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, and I go to church every Christmas and Easter. Believing, but not really believing, is demonstrated by relying on religion and family history. Then believing, but not really believing, is demonstrated by still being a slave to sin. Yes, true believers sin, and even struggle with some sins. Abraham sinned. Moses sinned. David sinned. Paul sinned. By birth, by nature, we are sinners and slaves to sin. We are under its control and domination. Some people don't like hearing this and reject it. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which 
you were entrusted, and that before you were saved, you were slaves to sin. Yes, we could do good things with good motives, but on our own, we cannot break the power, the slavery, the chains of sin. That slavery is played out in life. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote, By what anyone is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Or, as another version puts it, You are a slave to whatever controls you. Believing, but not really believing in Jesus, is demonstrated by still being a slave to sin. A third mark of not really believing in Jesus is accepting some of what he tells us, but rejecting other things he tells us. Jesus gave this group some straightforward teaching earlier in chapter 8, such as verse 12, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse 15, You judge according to the flesh, that is, you judge the way people in our fallen world judge. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. And verse 24, that unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then we read verse 30. As he said these things, many came to believe in him. But when Jesus went on to tell them in verses 31 and 32, that if they continued in his word, they would know the truth, and that would set them free, that was too much. Look at verse 33 again. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? If they were responding with knee-jerk emotion, thinking of their political, national freedom, that was flat-out wrong and ridiculous. They knew, everyone knew, that since their ancestors had come into the land, during the time of the judges, there were long periods of time when they were oppressed and dominated by the nations around them. Later, the Assyrians and Babylonians had conquered them. Now, at this very moment, they were under the heavy boot of Roman rule. If they did have enough insight to understand that Jesus was talking about spiritual freedom, their spiritual blindness and bondage kept them from even seeing this reality. And so it is today. Many people believe Jesus was a great teacher, moral, merciful, and did many good things, but balk at his being the eternal Son of God, at his being the one and only way to deal with their sin and be accepted by God. Back then and now, these people set themselves up as the judge of truth, picking and choosing what seems right, good, comfortable to them, 
and rejecting what they think is not right, good, or comfortable. They believe, but do not really believe in Jesus. One more mark we see here in these verses is that people who do not really believe in Jesus ultimately reject him. While it may not always be as clear as it is here in John's Gospel, there will be evidence of their rejection. The rejection was swift and dramatic with the people in this chapter. Verse 30 tells us that they came to believe in Jesus, and the next verse tells us Jesus then began talking to them. As he did this, Jesus said, verse 37, You seek to kill me. And again, verse 40, You are seeking to kill me. When Jesus clearly, concisely stated that he is eternal God, in verse 58, when he told them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am, the people understood his claim, because John tells us, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and left the temple grounds. Any mere person claiming to be God was blaspheming, which was punishable by being stoned to death. It's not the last time this happened. Later in chapter 12, large crowds welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem shouting, Hosanna, or Save Now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Within a few days they were shouting, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! How could they do that quick 180-degree turnaround? Because they did not really believe. Those who did not really believe in Jesus today end up rejecting him whether by trying to do a makeover to have the Jesus they want, or dismissing him, walking away. Now let's move to the other side, those who really believe. In some ways, how and why we know we really believe is simple and straightforward. One man asked his five-year-old son, Have you ever really believed in Jesus? His son quickly answered, Of course, Dad. His dad pressed on, How do you know that you really are saved? His son immediately recited the verse, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Really believing in Jesus is demonstrated in your life. It is demonstrated, evidenced by knowing and continuing in his word. Let's go back to the opening lines of this section, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The phrase, if you continue in my word, or abide in my word, means to remain. To settle down. The point of the word can be pictured in a contrast. If you are on holidays, you might stay in a hotel. But the hotel, as nice as it may be, is not where you abide. It is not your home where you live and have put down some roots. You see, there were people in the temple court on that day 
who not only were visiting Jerusalem for the festival, but were like many people today. They visit, hear, accept, and even admire some of the truth of Jesus, but they do not settle down, stay there. It is not their home. As true believers remain in God's Word, and His Word has a home in their hearts, they will know and grow in knowing God's truth, which frees them from the false, wrong ideas which continually crash into them. And that is a great blessing, as well as an evidence of truly believing in Jesus. The Apostle Paul reinforced this point. He told the believers in Thessalonica, Stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Flipping the coin over, he wrote to the churches of Galatia, As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. The gospel which saves begins with sovereign, holy God. It includes knowing ourselves for who we are, sinners unable to save ourselves, and so rightly headed for everlasting punishment for our sins. It moves on to Jesus Christ, God the Son, God's provision to deal with our sin, the one who saves us by his grace when we place our faith in him because he took our sin on himself, dying on the cross as our substitute. This is the true gospel, which we must not only know, but choose to trust in to be a true believer. A second mark of a true believer is loving Jesus. Drop down to verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. Question. What does it mean to love Jesus? It includes but is more than admiring his humility to come into the world as one of us. It includes but is more than marveling at his great teaching and works. It includes but is more than being amazed and humbled by his great love and grace for us. It includes these and other things, but it must include Jesus' own description later in this gospel. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Another question. Who can truly love Jesus? Jesus answered this question in verse 42. Those who have God as their Father, those who really believe in Him. Jesus states an uncomfortable truth starting in that verse. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came forth from God and am here. For I have not even come on my own, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Spiritually, our father is either God or 
Satan. There is no third option. The Bible is clear. Everyone is either in the kingdom of darkness and rebellion against God, or in the kingdom of light and fellowship with God. Everyone is either a true believer in Jesus or not. Real believers are not perfect in their love for Jesus, but there will be evidence of their love for Him, some fruit of obedience to Him. A third mark of true believers is being free from slavery to sin. Jesus' statements on this are crystal clear. Go back to verse 31 for the general principle. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Go on to verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Let's expand those thoughts with a few other verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. After being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, one of the great blessings He gives you is freedom from slavery to sin. No child of God needs to be mastered by, controlled by, enslaved to any specific sin or sin in general. You may be thinking, what about my really tough struggles? I've tried and tried. What about my failures? First, never accept the quick, no struggles, easy growth, and walk of faith approach that some people promote. Paul states the objective truth in Galatians chapter 5. The desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. This is the ongoing, as long as we are on earth, spiritual battle. Then remember Paul's testimony about his path to growth and victory, recorded in Romans chapter 7. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body's parts. Wretched man that I am! Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. The reference point here is that your nature and your standing with God has been changed. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom 
you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what about the ongoing process? One more verse. The first verse of Galatians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The second part of that verse is our responsibility. Engage the battle. Stand firm in Christ. Keep abiding in the Bible's truth, relying on it, living it. Paul used another image of this in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We all face struggles. We all at times fail. But thank God that as one who truly believes in Jesus, you are free from slavery to sin, and there will be some evidence of that in your life. Finally, really believing in Jesus will be demonstrated by doing the works of God. Jesus challenged these people who said they believed to demonstrate it, to prove it by their actions. Verse 38. I speak of the things which I have seen with my Father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your Father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We are not born as a result of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. They were not doing the works that Abraham would do. They were not doing the works of God as true believers do. What did Abraham do and not do? He accepted believed rather than rejected God's truth, verse 41. He loved God, as true believers truly loved Jesus, verse 42. He accepted God's messengers, as we learn in Genesis chapter 18, while these people rejected Jesus whom God the Father sent to them. He would not have followed Satan, the deceiver and destroyer, the murderer, in trying to kill Jesus, Verse 44. Paul wrote, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Again, good works, doing the works of God, is the fruit of true faith. James chapter 2 deals with the relationship of true faith and works. Verse 14, What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Verse 17, Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 19, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. 
True faith is evidenced in doing the works that God has prepared for his children to do. John deals with this truth of works being the fruit of true faith in his first letter, chapter 3. Whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Really believing in Jesus will be demonstrated by doing the works of God, works that he has prepared for us. Really believing in Jesus is demonstrated in your life. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Paul was not assuming they were not true believers, but in light of all that was happening and not happening in their lives, he was challenging them to look deep, examine the state of their faith, look at the evidence of true faith that demonstrated that, yes, they truly, really believed in Jesus. So examine yourself today. You are the only one other than God who can really answer the question about the reality and depth of your faith. If you realize that you don't really believe in Jesus and have not really been forgiven and transformed by him, come to him now. Talk with me or another believer about this. For all of us who have true faith, the next question is, what evidence of that faith, what demonstration of the love, truth, and grace of Jesus can people see in me? Think about that with God. Determine to have your light shining before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Bow with me in prayer. God, our Father, thank you for your grace beyond our comprehension, salvation in Jesus. We realize there are many people who think they are accepted by God because they accept some things about you and themselves, but who do not really believe. Father, help us to understand, care, and point them to true faith in Jesus. For any of us today who have not yet truly believed, work in their hearts. Bring them to yourself, we pray. We ask that you would keep both the great privileges and responsibilities of being your children at the front of our minds, directing how we think, speak, and live. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.